You're listening to The Gathering Church Podcast. Located in Asheville, North Carolina, The Gathering is a place where you can belong before you believe. To find out more, visit gatherashville.org. Well, good morning and welcome to The Gathering Church. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it's so good to have you guys here with us today. It's a little bit loud. I'll just whisper. (laughs) Welcome. If it's your first time, man, I'm just so honored that you're here. We got a sign outside that says, Welcome Home, but we don't want you to just read Welcome Home. We want you to feel it when you walk into this place. And so I hope somebody made you feel at home today, made you feel noticed, seen, wanted, welcomed. We're just so honored that you're here. If you're watching online, we're so honored to have you with us as well. Thank you so much for being a part of our Sunday today. Hey, I want to tell you guys about something. A couple weeks is coming up. We got a um, life group semesters are coming to an end. They're about to close out here in just a couple weeks. And uh, some of them are ending this week or next week, I think. I could be wrong. I don't always look at the calendar. Life group coordinator's like, no, that's not right. But it is sometime this month. And and, um, and the other side of that, I know there's always like this gap of time between semesters where folks are trying to figure out how to make friends, how to get out there and be around people. I think now more than ever, we're starting to, to reemerge from our cocoons. And we're like, I just want to look at another person. I don't know what to say to them, but I want to look at them. And if that's you, we're going to be starting a, a little, a, a kind of a simple thing that we're going to be doing on the first Wednesday of months during these warmer time of the year. We're just calling it First Wednesdays. And for now, it's going to be at Blue Ghost Brewery. And so we're just going to get some folks together at Blue Ghost. They've got a food truck there, and uh, they've got not just beer, but they also have some non-alcoholic options in there, or there's beer, whatever you want. Come on out, support a local business, and hang out with us for First Wednesday at Blue Ghost Brewery. And we're starting on Cinco de Mayo. And so come on, somebody. I bet they'll have a taco truck. I don't know. I'm assuming. And if it's not, I'm just like, what am I going to eat, a burger on Cinco de Mayo? And so come on out, support a local business, hang out with us. I'd love to see you there. Well, today we're in week two of a series called Anonymous, and I want to get right into it. I want to get right into this because um, I'm excited about this series. We introduced the idea last week. Really, we're talking about seasons where we feel unseen, where we feel unnoticed, where we, we haven't got whatever the, the desires of our hearts still feel like they're out of reach. Maybe uh, we're still waiting for Mr. or Mrs. Wright to come along, or we're waiting for our ship to sail in. We're waiting for our work to get appreciated, for someone to notice how hard we've been working. We feel like we, we're called to something bigger, but right now we're finding ourselves somewhere small. And, and so we feel anonymous in these seasons. And oftentimes when we're in these seasons where we feel anonymous, we face some specific temptations. Uh, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus goes into the wilderness at the edge of his season of anonymity, and he faces three temptations. And I believe that those are the same ones that we face today, especially in our anonymous seasons. And through this moment in Jesus' life, when he's being tested in this way, I believe we can learn how to resist those temptations by studying Jesus and who he is and how he responded. And so last week, we talked about the temptation of appetite, the temptation of appetite. Today, I want to talk about the temptation of applause, the temptation of applause, the need that we have inside of us to gain the approval of others. It might just get a little bit personal today. Did you know that before February 9th, 
2009, if you were to post a picture on the internet, you just had to assume that people liked it. Before February 1st, February 9th, 2009, if you ate a meal that you thought was just the best meal you ever had, you just had to eat it. You would eat it. Maybe you would put your fork in the face of whoever was eating with you and say, you got to try this. And that was as far as it got. Did you know that before February 9th, 2009, whenever you had a baby or you got a puppy, you just had to assume that people liked it. You, you just had to look at it yourself and maybe, maybe just assume that if others saw it, they'd enjoy it, but you would never really know. See, on February 9th, 2009, the whole world changed forever. That was the day that Facebook premiered the like button on their page. And the like button has transformed our culture. We've always had a need for affirmation. In fact, I, I, I'm, I'm telling you today, if you're part of my generation or younger, that before there was a like button, we still needed people to see us, to want us, to approve of us, to tell us that we're doing a good job, to, to tell us that we got it right, that everything's good. We just didn't have this, this incredible outlet that we have today, that we had to search for it in other ways, and we would do it in positive ways and in negative ways, and in so many different ways, we'd seek affirmation. But now... Now it's a virus. Now, now, now you can get it quicker than you ever could before. You can find it in, in new ways. You put your opinions out there and see who likes them and who doesn't. You can, you can take a, a, a meal and you can really doctor it up just right. Get the table setting just right where it looks good. Stand up over your table while everyone at the restaurant is just in the way making sure you got the best photo of the food you are about to partake in. Now when you have a baby, you put that baby out for the whole world to see, and you're just sitting there watching the likes come in saying, like my baby, like my baby. If you like me, you dang well better like this baby. I'm telling you right now, you're going to like it. Okay, we, you, can, you can create whatever version of your life you want the world to believe is true about you and present it to the internet so that you can receive the approval of people you barely know. See, the temptation of applause is at a whole new level in today's world than it was just a few years ago. February 9th, 2009 changed everything. No longer do we have to actually appeal to people for the, for the approval that we desire. We can fill this void in our hearts for someone to approve of us, appreciate us, and applaud us simply by posting a photo or a statement and then Waiting, just waiting, waiting for someone to notice. Because deep down, inside each and every one of us, that's our need. Our need is to be seen, to, to be approved of, for someone to tell us we're doing a good job, for someone to tell us they're proud of us, for someone to see and applaud our actions and our life. We need it. It's just written into our very DNA. Jesus was tempted because of this need, just the same way that you and I are all the time. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, fasting and praying, and at the end of the time uh, that he was fasting and praying, the enemy began to tempt him. First, he tempted his appetite, told him to turn some rocks into some garlic bread. Next, he does this in Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city. And had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. 
And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. How many of you know that your enemy likes to take your image of God, your understanding of God, the way that you see God, and turn it against you? That he likes to twist the words of God. He likes to twist who God is and what God wants from you in order to take something from you. In fact, that's been his, his place since the very beginning. He says, did God really say to Eve in the garden? It's always been his strategy because it works. It's so effective. He can repeat some sort of scripture, some, some preacher's voice in our head that takes us into a, a negative place where we're more likely to sin. He does it to Jesus, except that the psalm that he quotes to Jesus is a psalm that's all about waiting for God's timing and, and not testing God and trusting in God because God will protect you. But the enemy, he knows that just as well as anyone else. But he takes what he wants and he twists it. He's been doing it in our hearts for a long, long time. So he says, it says in the Bible that he will not let you get hurt. He won't let you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, but it's also written, do not put your, the Lord your God to the test. And Jesus responds, he resists, he knows what to say. He was there when it was written, he knows what it means, he knows how to respond. Now at this point in his ministry, Jesus is anonymous. He's not done any public ministry yet. There's been no big miracles, no crowds. Maybe he's had a few people here and there that he's been teaching as a rabbi, sharing some truth and wisdom with, but it's been all on a smaller scale and bivocational. He's been doing other things along the way to make ends meet. And at the edge of this anonymous season, he's tempted to do something that would draw the attention of all the people in this densely populated place to see if God would do a miracle for everyone to see. I notice in this passage that the devil doesn't take Jesus to some cliff out in the middle of the wilderness to see if God would save him. That was intentional. Instead, he took him to the very most crowded place in Jerusalem because it wasn't just about seeing if God would save him. It was about affirming his identity and it was about people seeing God save him. The temptation of applause. I wonder what you've been tempted to do to affirm your identity and gain the affirmation of others. What have you done? How has that hunger for attention driven you? How has that need to be noticed driven your actions, your decisions? How has it motivated you, this desire for someone to be proud of you? What fake versions of yourself have you presented? Where have you crossed the line on your integrity? What lengths have you been willing to go to? I believe we fall to the temptation of applause for a couple of reasons. I think one of the big ones in the beginning is that we're just insecure. We're insecure. We don't know how to be secure. We need somebody to be proud of us and to show us value and Honestly, we just don't know a lot of healthy ways to get that, so we, we go to unhealthy ways. This need that we have is in us from the very beginning, when we're two years old, and we have a piece of paper with a bunch of blue scribbled all over it, and we bring it to our mom, and we say, Mommy, look. Mommy, look. Mommy, look. They don't stop saying, Mommy, look, until Mommy looks. I'll tell you that right now. And we need somebody to look at that scribble, scrabble, and say, That's beautiful. And we're like, It's a rabbit. And Mommy's like, It looks just like a rabbit, and I love it. 
It's written into us. From the moment we begin talking, we begin seeking this kind of affirmation. And it never stops. As a child, we're constantly doing whatever we can to gain the attention of our parents, trying to get them to see us, to say they're proud of us, to notice us. It drives the decisions that we make. Even as you get at six, seven, eight years old, you get into sports and, and all the little leagues and all the things like that. Dad, did you see? Dad, were you there? Dad, did you see what I did? Did you see, Mom? Did you watch me? We need somebody to notice us. We need somebody to be proud of us, and in our hearts, we're insecure about it because we don't really know what to tether that to. We don't know how to take the attention that we do receive and carry it in a healthy way. And so it's just kind of there for a while, and then it's empty again, and it's gone, and we're out looking for whatever's next. It never, ever stops. We're insecure as children. We're insecure as adults. Somebody notice me. Somebody see me. Somebody be proud of me, quietly holding resentment in our hearts for our boss because for years, we've worked there without any thank yous, quietly holding resentment towards our spouse because we've done all these things for them and it doesn't feel like they notice, appreciate, applaud us. We don't know what to do with it, but we're, we're desperate for it. And this insecurity also affects our perception of God. And we think that in order for God to see us, we've got to be good enough. We've got to follow the right rules. We've got to do the right things in order for him to be proud of us, we have to make him proud. And that informs our entire worldview. We apply it to every relationship. And before long, we're willing to do whatever it takes to earn the approval and recognition of the one who made us. Or maybe it goes the other way. Maybe instead of obsessing over legalism and, and pushing yourself deeper and deeper just to try to earn the approval of God, you begin to carry in your heart, whether you decide it or not, consciously, that you'll never get God's approval. He'll never be good enough. He'll never notice you. He'll never be proud of you. He'll never care about you. And so we, we go seeking it somewhere else, somewhere unhealthy, somewhere that could never actually fill the need that we have to be cared for, seen, applauded. And our insecurity leads us to believe that because we'll, since we'll never gain the applause of God or even people we respect, that we have to just go turn to those who we don't. So we turn to sin we turn to the approval of people who don't have our respect because it's better than nothing. We, we, we often move into this temptation and give into it because we're insecure. We do it because we're insecure. We also do it because we're impatient. We're impatient. Talked about this last week. If you're in an anonymous season, it's normal to feel the frustration that comes with it. We want to move on to the season where our dreams are coming true, where we're getting the things that we want, that we're asking for, that we deeply desire. We don't want to be in the waiting season, in the developing season, in the season where things are hard, in the season where nobody knows our name. We don't want to be there. We want to be in the season where everybody knows our name. We want to be in the season where, where everything's just coming up me. It's all coming up just the way that I want it to be. And so while we're in the season where we're not where we want to be, we're just pacing back and forth, just frustrated, impatient, doing whatever we can can to control it ourselves, to gain whatever facsimile versions of our dreams we can, because it is so hard to wait. We go the other way. We become obsessed with this fake version of approval that we desire. We start following what the crowd around us is doing because it brings quicker results, regardless of whether or not it's the right thing to do. We feel our need for approval from somebody whose approval we shouldn't be working for, like a bad relationship, an immoral boss, people on the internet. We just need it and we need it now. And we just want to be noticed. Oh, we're just, we're so susceptible 
to the temptation of applause because we just need it. It's not a bad thing to need it. And that's what the enemy knows. That's why he comes in in these seasons of anonymity and he lays this temptation down at our feet. And that is so why so many of us give in to it. Because we long for it. I think when you're a child and you're desperate for your parents to see you, to be proud of you, we're always asking for more. We're always looking for more, even when our parents do show up and tell us that they're proud of us. But then so many of us, maybe you didn't have a childhood like that. Maybe, maybe your whole life there's been a, a hole in your heart where nobody ever told you they were proud of you. Nobody showed up to your games. Nobody, nobody was there to look at the pictures that you drew. And it's led to a lot of decisions seeking the approval that that hole left. Bad relationships, damaging, hurtful relationships, untoxic environments at work, unhealthy ways of viewing others and viewing people, a whole fake life that you've built for yourself on the internet. So often, we get pulled into the temptation of applause and we get lost in it because it comes after something that we, we naturally long for. To long for affirmation is human. To live for it is wrong. That's where it's different. That's where the enemy tempts us to cross the line. Jesus doesn't give in to this temptation and instead he responds with scripture about testing God and then the enemy just moves on to the next one. Let's look at Jesus here again and learn how we can overcome the temptation of applause. The very first thing that we need is a secure identity. A secure identity. When you know who you are, it's a lot harder for the enemy to tempt you to prove it. Look at how it starts in this passage. In Matthew 4, verse 5, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. And he says, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. If. If you are the Son of God, prove it. Prove that you are who you say you are. Prove that you are who you think you are. Show everyone, show yourself and show everyone here that you really are who you think you are. Prove your value. Prove your worth. Prove what someone is willing to do for you and make sure that people see it. I believe the enemy will directly attack your identity and he will tell you all the wrong places that it is defined. He will tell you all the worst places to find it. He'll come right towards the heart of who you think you are, and he will say, are you really that person? He wants you to feel like you're not enough so that he can tempt you to fill that void with the never-ending need for the approval of others. But that didn't work on Jesus. And to find out why, you don't have to look very far away. Last week, I talked about how this passage opens, how this journey opens, Jesus has been on this, this journey of anonymity. Nobody's known who he is. He's 30 years old. He's never had a, a platform or a stage. He is the son of God. He was there when the earth was created, and yet nobody knows that. He's been doing construction work all over the Middle East. They don't know. And we see in Matthew 3.16, he goes and he's baptized. And it says, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. I need you to see that today. Maybe that's the message you need today. Because this is before the miracles. 
And Jesus hasn't done the big things yet. He hasn't raised anybody from the dead. He hasn't uh, healed anyone who is sick. He hasn't gone into the leprosy camps and started to heal people. He hasn't fed thousands. He hasn't walked on water. None of that's happened so far. He's not done anything. He's just taught people. He's loved people well. He's been, he's been obedient. And God looks at him in the beginning of his ministry, before he's done a thing. And he says, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. I need you to hear me tell you today that before you've done anything, before you've done one thing right in your life, that your Father in heaven looks at you and says, I'm pleased. And I can tell you how I know that. Because the only thing that separates you from the approval of God is your sin. It's not the amount of accomplishments you have. It's not the amount of days you've consecutively served on the dream team. It's not the amount of Sundays you've missed. It's none of these things. The only thing that separates you from the approval of God is your sin. It gets in the way. It creates a barrier. You can't get to him. And so he made a way to get to you. And when Jesus died on that cross, all of your sin, everything you've ever done, was was made right. It was forgiven. It was washed away and made new. And so when you enter into a relationship with Jesus, God doesn't look on you and see your sin anymore. Now he looks on you and he sees Jesus. And when he looks at Jesus, he says, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. When he looks on you, he says, this is my son or my daughter, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Before you've done a single thing right in your life, all you have to do is say yes to Jesus, and he looks right at you and says, I'm proud of you today. I'm proud of you right now. I'm proud of you before you did anything right. I'm proud of you before you opened your mouth. I'm proud of you even though you just messed up. I'm proud of you. I start from a place of joy when I look at you. Maybe you feel like in your life you've accomplished a lot, or maybe you feel like you haven't accomplished anything. It doesn't matter. Your heavenly Father is proud of you. He's pleased with you. And he begins from a place of approval. Uh, When you go to seminary, they give you sermon illustrations. I have this book that's like 250 sermon illustrations, and they're all very old school. And you've all, if you grew up in church, you probably heard one or two of these barked at you at some point in your life. And and uh, most of them, I think, are are a little bit wrong. And maybe I'm just young and arrogant. I don't know, but I, I think I don't agree with them. I'll tell you one. Uh, there's this story about a, a man who's a who's a concert pianist. And he gets up to do this piano concert in front of a a large group of people, and he gives it his opus. He really plays this thing with all of his heart and, and soul. And at the end of it, the whole audience erupts into applause, and they're applauding, and they're applauding, and they're applauding. But there's one person sitting in the back who's just not, he's not clapping at all. And so the pianist sees that guy, and he looks over all the applause, he sees this one guy who's not clapping, and he goes back to the piano, and he really goes after it again, and this time he's really getting it, he's sweaty, his hair's flying all over the place, you know, and he's unbuttoning his top button, he's giving it all he's got, and this time everybody stands and applauds, and they're applauding, they're applauding, but this one person is still seated in the back of the audience, and he's like, oh, okay, all right, well, you know what, next next thing, he says, I'm going to do it again, he goes full Elton John mode on the thing, kicks the stool over, and he starts playing, and he's dancing on the piano while he plays and it's the best he's ever given the song and the crowd goes wild he sets the piano piano on fire at the end and everybody's cheering and clapping and finally this guy in the back row stands up and he's clapping and he's joyful and that story is supposed to teach us about the value of playing for the one of giving everything you've got for an audience of one of overlooking everybody else and only going after the audience of one but there's a problem with that story because our father doesn't wait for you to give it all you've got before he starts to applaud you 
He doesn't need you to try again and again and again to earn his approval. He doesn't wait for that for you. Instead, I think a better version of this story would be to see the pianist walk out on the stage and stand in front of the bench and then one guy in the back stands up with the number one dad shirt on, clapping and screaming and giving it everything he's got and the pianist is a little embarrassed by it if he's honest, but that's who God is. He looks at you before you've done anything, before you've been seen, before you've been noticed and he gives you the only applause you will ever need. You've got to have a secure identity in him. You've got to know who he is. I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. It's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. Jesus tells this parable to help us understand the heart of the Father. There's this story, and there's these two sons, and one of the sons goes to his dad, and his dad's very wealthy, and he says, Dad, I want you to be dead to me. I want you to give me all the wealth that is going to come to me when you die. I want my blessing and my birthright, and I want it right now. And it's like telling his father that he never wants anything to do with him again. And through tears he gives him what he's asked for and the son leaves and the father and his family go on about their life like that son is gone well the son goes out and he spends it all every penny he loses it all on dogecoin every uh, it's gone and so he he's in squalor after that and he's living with pigs and he's eating pig slop and he doesn't can't find a job anywhere he doesn't know what to do and finally one day he thinks to himself even my father's servants eat better than this they're doing better than i'm doing right now and so he, he gets up the courage and he starts going home and he's got the speech in his head and he's thinking through all the things, Dad, I'm so sorry and, and I just want to be a servant. You don't have to make me your son again. If you'll just give me three meals a day, that's all I'm asking for. He's got the speech. He's rehearsing it over and over and over again and his father's house is in a valley, I like to imagine, and up on the hill, you know, you can kind of see who's coming and the father's out there one day and he looks up on that hill and there's somebody standing there and he kind of squints. He's trying to see who it is and it's that son and the son's so nervous, he's got butterflies, because he's like, I'm gonna, have to earn, I'm gonna have to earn my place in this house again. I'm gonna have to do everything that I can just to be able to be a servant here again. And next thing he knows, the father just starts sprinting across that field. His robe's flying off of him, I mean, he looks ridiculous, trying to run in sandals. They didn't even have shoes back then. Run as fast as he can, gets up to the top of that hill, wraps his son up in the tightest hug he's got. And his son starts the speech, Dad, I'm so sorry. If you could just make me a son. And the father says, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. He calls the servants. He says, kill the fatty calf. From my son was alive, was dead. And now he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. He, call, he calls him right back into his heart, into his home. Gives him everything that he needs at the moment he least deserves it. You need to know that's who you are. You're the prodigal son in the story. That your father doesn't care what you've done, where you've been, how you've spent the blessings he's given you. All he cares about is relationship with you. He wants to wrap you up and celebrate you even when you deserve it the least. When our identity is secure in the one who has made us, it is a lot harder to send us searching for it from others. We need to know who we are in the light of the father. We need a secure identity. And we also need to wait for proper timing. Proper timing. Here's one of the things that social media has just broken in us. Our need for approval has been turbocharged by getting accustomed to instant clicks and likes. We are the most impatient generation that has happened in a very long time, maybe ever. We're just so used to the instant gratification that we can get from, from social media, from online, and we, we, it's everywhere. We're accustomed to it now. We post a picture, 
and it's been 30 minutes, and we're like, do people hate me? Do they, do they hate everything that I do? Why? This is a beautiful sunset. Why has nobody liked this picture yet? The enemy tempts Jesus to do a miracle in front of everyone, and Jesus doesn't fall for it because Jesus is well aware that it is not the right time for him to step into this public ministry. God would use him to do the miraculous, but it's just, it's just not time yet. We talked about this some last week, but we've really got to learn this one. We've got to understand the importance of patience. God's timing is perfect. He may use you to do miraculous things, and He may allow people to see that, but it will not happen until His timing is right and you are ready. 1 Peter 5.6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. Sometimes when I memorize a memory verse, I like to leave out parts I don't like, so I like to stop right there. <laughs> Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up. And I like that. I'm going to be humble, and God's going to lift me up. I don't have to celebrate me. God's going to celebrate me. He's going to lift me up. It's going to be great. But what's the rest of the verse say? In due time. Not right away, not when you want it, not in the moment that's convenient for you, not in, the, not in the hour that's convenient for you, not in the year that's convenient for you. Humble yourself. Do what he's called you to do. Do it with a happy heart. Be grateful. Be generous. Live with everything you've got. Just giving it to whatever you're called to at that moment in time. Whatever you can control, do it. Be developed. Grow. Serve in ways people can't see. Do it. And when the time is right, God will lift you up. Some of us are putting so much energy into lifting ourselves up that we're missing what God wants to do in us right now. So I wonder where in your life in this season God is telling you to be patient. Maybe you wish you had a platform right now and maybe you feel called to lead and influence others but you don't have any kind of platform or audience to influence. So you're rushing it. You're building a platform online by posting things that you think will attract people but they don't honor God. Or they're just not an accurate act accurate reflection of who you are or who you're called to be. Maybe you're stepping all over anybody who gets in your way at work so that you can gain power and platform there. Maybe you're rushing in in some other way, and in doing this, you're sidestepping the actual development that God wants to do with you right now in this season. Maybe he has something that needs to happen in your heart right now, here in this season, and you're trying to rush right past it. Old-timey photos were interesting. They were this like shiny thing of plastic you could hold in your hand. If you wanted a bunch of them together, you put them in a book, called it a photo album. It was weird times. Now, I've got 10,000 on my phone that I'll never see. It's much better this way. But in the old days, you took a picture, and you took that film to a developer, and it would go in the dark room. Those phone photos were developed in the dark room, and nobody could see them except for the developer. And if they were brought out into the light too quickly, what would happen? They'd be overexposed, ruined. You'd never be able to see their potential. Maybe God has you in the dark room right now because you're not fully developed yet. God's timing is rarely what we want it to be, but it is always in our best interest final thing is this we need a secure identity we need to trust the proper timing and we need to practice unseen obedience unseen obedience 
There's something about us as a people that we don't, we don't usually want to put ourselves underneath someone as a servant. We want the big job. We want the important role. We want to be seen. We want to be visible. We don't want to have to do the small thing. We want the big thing. Come on, trust me with it. Give it to me. Don't put me in, in the corner. Put, come on, I, I'm a stage man. Put me, don't put me on the setup team. I belong on the stage. I, my voice is like the voice of an angel. Here I am. I'm ready to go. I don't want the small thing. I want the big thing. We want the important role. We think that to do small and unimportant things is a waste of our time, our talent, and our ability. It's sideways momentum in our lives, and it's not benefiting us. So why would we do it? When I became a Christian, I was 21, and I knew it all. I had matured really quickly. I was just the wisest 21-year-old you ever met, ready to go, ready to change the world. And it wasn't long after, I'm being sarcastic, it wasn't long after I became a Christian that I felt God calling me into ministry. And I struggled with that, I wrestled with it, I didn't want it. I didn't know what I wanted in life, it wasn't that. And I remember the day that I submitted to it, you know, it was kind of a surrender moment. I gave all of myself, I was like, God, you want me to be in ministry? I'll be in ministry, I'll give all of my life to it, everything that I am right now, here I go, I'm ready. Let's do this, you want me to preach, I'll preach. You want me to sing, Lord help whoever has to listen. Whatever it is, God, I'll do it. You call me to it, I'm here. Only problem is, when you're in the military, you can't just quit. You can't just say, well, I'm called to ministry, gonna go be a pastor now and go start a new career. You have to stay until they're done with you. I had three years left on my contract. And so for those three years, and then I actually signed on for another three, because I just wasn't ready yet. But for those three years, I know every day I woke up thinking, I'm called to ministry. What am I doing here? I shouldn't be doing this. And one day, it was just a couple weeks later, um, I, I got to work in the morning. I was on a ship, and we were underway. And I got down to the, my office in the morning, the armory, and my boss was like, you're painting. I was like, painting? And he said, yep, you're painting these walls white. And I looked around, and I was like, these walls are white. These walls are already white. He said, they're not white enough. And so I, I got this five-gallon bucket of white paint, and I sat down there painting white walls whiter. And I remember feeling so frustrated. Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to be a preacher. I'm supposed, to be, I'm supposed to be with people, sharing the gospel. I can't share the gospel with a wall. What am I doing down here? What am I doing down here? And then I finished painting those walls white, and I had this five-gallon bucket of white paint. I don't know where the lid was. It just wasn't there. So I'm carrying this bucket up the ladder, and I'm going up the space. I got it over my head, and right then and there, that boat took a big wave. That paint came down over my head, over my uniform, over my brand new boots, and all over the black deck of that armory. So for the next four days, I painted the black deck black. <laughs> you know what I did? Uh, the, the paint we use in the military is two stages. There's the paint and there's the hardener. The hardener is what makes it dry. I forgot to put the hardener in. I painted the whole deck with no hardener. It would never dry. I went down there the next day. It was still wet. I was like, what's wrong? They said, did you put the hardener in? And I said, did I put the who in what? So I went and I, I mixed that paint up again. And I went down there and I painted that black deck even blacker. Here's what I learned in a week and a half. Being called means that whatever I have to do, I will do it to the very best of my ability. That as I'm in here in this room with nobody watching me but me, watching paint dry, oh, I'm not good at painting. My wife will tell you that. I did the best I've ever done on those walls. I will make these the whitest walls anyone has ever seen. I will make this the blackest deck that has ever been walked on. I will give it everything that I've got. If you're not ready to do the small things, God will never trust you with the big things. We all want to be a, a leader people want to follow, 
But first, you've got to be a follower that people want to lead. You've got to have the humility in your heart to say, in this unseen season, I will be obedient. I will do whatever God calls me to do. I know who I am. I know he is proud of me. I need the affirmation of no one but my Father in heaven. And he said he was proud of me before I started doing any of this. And he sees every act of unseen obedience. He's the one who's watching. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 and 4, it says, When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do, or don't post it on Instagram as the hypocrites do, just to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their whole reward. The little like button was all they're going to get. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that you may be, so that your giving may be in secret. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. See, when you do things in unseen obedience, you may not be getting the approval of people who don't matter, but you are being seen by the only one who does when you show up at 6.30 in the morning to set this place up. And you think, does anybody even notice? Your Father in heaven sees. When you go back there into kids' ministry and some five-year-old calls you a bad name, and you think, why am I doing this? Your Father in heaven sees you. Moms, when you pour your whole life into those children and all they do is hit you and pee on you and run away and not listen, and you think, what is the point of this? Your Father in heaven is watching you. He sees it. Every act of unseen obedience is one step closer to the purpose he is creating just for you. So lean in. Do it with the very best of your ability. Be developed in those seasons. Be grown in those seasons and become the person that he is calling you to be in those seasons. I think the temptation of applause is more real now than ever. But we can, we can overcome it, just as Jesus did. We have the same resources available to us that he had to him. The same spirit lives in me that lived in him. My identity is just as secure as his. I, I can be developed when I am patient, just as he was. And when I act in unseen obedience, the same one who was cheering for Jesus is cheering for me. We can overcome the temptation of applause, even in 2021. If you're here today and you have spent your entire life trying to fill that void, trying to be noticed, just trying to be seen, maybe you, you've just, from the time you were very small, needed somebody to be proud of you. And it has warped your whole reality. Someone is proud of you today. If all your life you've needed to be accepted, wanted, desired by someone, someone desires you today. Someone wants you today. Someone would die for you today. And all you have to do to step into his loving embrace, to be a part of his family forever, to never be alone again, is say yes to the gift he's already given. Accept it, step into it, and nothing will ever be the same. If you're here today, and maybe you relate to that prodigal, maybe you found your identity in Jesus at some time, and, and then you walked away, you began to look for it other places. It is never too late to come back. Never. Nowhere you can go that he won't welcome you right back into his arms. Nothing you can do that he won't just immediately wash away and say, I'm so happy you're here. You were lost and now you're found. What would I do but celebrate? 
If you're in either of those groups, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just pray this prayer with me today? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for trying to do this on my own. Forgive me for every mistake that I've made as I've sought the attention of others. Forgive me. From this day forward, I am yours. I give everything that I am to you, every gift I have, every act of unseen obedience, I only do it for you. I will find my identity in you from this moment on. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Gathering Church Podcast is produced by the Gathering Church Creative Team. Want to get involved? Fill out a Connect card online at gatherashville.org. Find us on Facebook at The Gathering Church or on Instagram at Gather Asheville.